Chapter Six of the Princess and the Ploughman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. The Princess and the Ploughman by Florence Morse Kingsley. Chapter Six. Doctor Vivian was engaged in examining his mail in the library of his villa with every token of that settled leisure which he was conscious of having fairly earned by a previous period of strenuous professional activity, when he looked up to behold his daughter standing in the doorway. "'Are you busy, Daddy?' inquired the apparition sweetly. "'Never too busy to listen to you, daughter,' replied the doctor, with a twinkle of fine humour in his eyes. "'What is it this morning, little one?' "'Oh, nothing in particular.' prevaricated miss vivian with a charming display of white teeth and dimples why should there be but you know daddy dear i so seldom get a chance to have you all to myself nowadays i have a tremendous rival in mary i am aware admitted the doctor gravely but i try to endure it what is your programme for to-day miss vivian pouted do you know she complained confidentially I think Mary is positively tiresome sometimes. Fancy her waking me out of a sound sleep at four this morning to tell me how much she loved me. How should you like that, Daddy? Well, said Dr. Vivian, screwing up his face into a humorous frown. I expect I should suffer excruciatingly under such circumstances, as I see you have, daughter. But I fancy Mary will come across somebody some of these days who will be big enough and strong enough to bear up under all the love she can give him, and like as not ask for more. I'm sure I hope so, Felice wished devoutly. With this as a simple introduction, she adroitly conducted the conversation by way of the new shrubberies, the hothouses, the stables, pausing artfully at the gardens to inquire with well-simulated anxiety after some young fruit-trees which had been lately put out. Dr. Vivian fell into the trap with ease. "'We haven't the right soil for fruit,' he began, argumentatively, as he pushed his mail aside and laced his fingers across his capacious waistcoat front. "'Now, for the successful culture of fruit, you must have—' Here, Felice's more piquant maiden meditations happily intervened to occupy her mind, during the quarter of an hour or more, that her father's rumbling voice was learnedly discoursing upon soils, fertilisers, drainage, pruning, and grafting, as opposed to budding, though to the unobservant paternal eye she was all the while paying the sweetest and most dutiful attention. If only I could persuade that stubborn blockhead Ghent to sell me a few acres of his pasture land, finished the doctor bringing down his broad hand with much unnecessary force upon his broad knee but one might as well try to buy property from the man in the moon one would think a man in his position would want the money murmured felice with intelligent sympathy he must be a very coarse ignorant sort of person ghent oh no he's an uncommonly intelligent well-educated fellow as far as that goes but a curious duffer as ever lived the doctor chuckled reminiscently. "'What does he do that is so queer, Daddy?' inquired Felice, 
with a pretty interested air of making conversation. Oh, nothing in particular. That is nothing that would interest you, daughter. He's merely an unworldly, impractical, visionary sort, capable of being and doing almost anything, but wrapped up in his notions like a moth in a cocoon. Why, Ghent is the sort of fellow who would leave a quarter of an acre of prime meadow grass uncut because there happened to be a ground sparrow's nest in the middle of it. Fact, he did that very thing this summer. And Peters assures me that last fall he left bushels of nuts under the trees and standing corn along the fences for the squirrels and woodchucks. I don't take much stock in that sort of thing myself. Felice considered these singular characteristics of the farmer person with her pretty head tilted thoughtfully to one side. That all sounds rather nice to me, she observed at length. And as for his being odd, there are plenty of odd people in the world, I should think, she added with innocent afterthought, that his wife might persuade him to be more sensible and thrifty. She looks a plain, hard-working sort of person. I've noticed her picking vegetables in the garden. Ghent isn't married. The woman you've seen is his housekeeper. Pamelia McElhenney is quite another sort. Her father has been right-hand man about the place since Ghent was a lad. I fancy the old chap thinks he owns the farm by now. I declare I believe if I could convince old Andrew that they didn't need the strip of pasture as much as I do, perhaps I'd get it. Did you say that Mr. Ghent was a widower? inquired Felice with a smothered yawn. Indeed he must be, very queer and... The doctor turned a waggish eye upon his cross-questioner. Preserved game getting shy? A daughter, he inquired gravely. Ghent is a bachelor, but let me advise you not to attempt a flirtation with him. He might clap you under his microscope to see what sort of an odd butterfly he'd captured. Miss Vivian put up a disdainful little chin. Don't be silly, Daddy, she advised piquantly. I'm not interested in persons of that sort. I simply asked a few questions about this farmer person to, to pass away the time. And because, Daddy dear, I've heard you mention him so many times in connection with the gardens. Well, he's a curious duffer, no doubt of that, grumbled the doctor, submitting to an airy kiss upon the top of his bald head as he turned to his neglected mail. Having salved her uneasy conscience by means of this casual interview, the astute Miss Vivian went in search of the bride. She found Mary attired in a cool white linen, seated in a veranda chair doing nothing at all. Mary's large, finely modelled hands seemed incapable of any of the small intricate employments usual to women she had never been known to embroider or to crochet and her few blundering attempts at needlework had sufficed to include it among the lost arts as far as she was concerned oh honey aren't you excited demanded miss vivian with anxious curiosity way down inside i mean outwardly you're as unruffled and sweet as a flower Mary withdrew her abstracted eyes from the blue rim of the ocean and turned them upon her friend. Why should I be excited, Felice? she inquired mildly. I am certainly very happy to think our problems have been so easily solved. 
and i've been wondering dearest if it wouldn't be best after all to have the girls wear pure white they're used to it you know and it's most becoming with their creamy yellow skins what are you talking about mary looked surprised and a trifle hurt i was thinking of our hawaiian students felice what else should i be thinking of there will be nothing to prevent our going to work at once upon our plans we could start to-day felice this very afternoon we couldn't possibly do anything of the sort mary objected miss vivian crisply you will be obliged to acquaint your guardian with the fact of your marriage and then there will be a lot of legal business to be gone through with before you can touch your money i know felice but we might go to boston this afternoon and engage an architect to begin the plans for the buildings oh let us go to-day please felice i don't think i should like to stay here after i-i couldn't you know are you afraid of mr ghent inquired felice gravely with certain astute qualms of her hastily placated conscience because if you are i should advise you to give up the affair at once it isn't too late i can send peters down to the farm with a note saying you've changed your mind but i haven't changed my mind said mary slowly and i'm not afraid of mr ghent what are you afraid of then mary made no reply and after a discreet interval miss vivian added i think i ought to tell daddy he could advise you far better than i mary's grey eyes swept the small figure of her friend with calm displeasure if i had wished for advice felice i should have asked for it i am doing what is for the best i am sure of that but you said this morning that you were doing this all for me persisted miss vivian with an air of guilty reserve it makes me very uncomfortable to think of your taking such a tremendously important step for me if if anything should happen it would seem to be my fault and mary please pay attention i am perfectly sure you won't always like me as well as you think you do now and then nothing will happen chimed in mary sweetly it is all quite simple we will go away directly and oh felice how happy and useful our lives will be have you realised it dear everything will be beautiful about us the great marble buildings i hope we can afford marble and the tropical gardens did you ever see a real tropical garden felice with palms and roses everywhere and fountains springing among the green or running down the terraces into clear lily-covered pools the hawaiian girls are the prettiest creatures in the world so docile and affectionate and easily led i don't wonder aunt lydia was interested in them i hope we shall live to be old felice perhaps as old as fifty or sixty and then after we are dead we will be buried side by side in a beautiful chapel which i shall build very near the college hall our statues shall stand under the dome not lying down stark and stiff but standing up together just as if we were alive and you shall be smiling as you are now felice you are so beautiful when you smile miss vivian's smile widened into irrepressible ripples of helpless laughter oh mary honey she sighed and laughed and sighed again i didn't know you could be so eloquent 
I'm just crazy to be carved on a sarcophagus. But how did you ever guess it? Then she glanced at her watch, her face growing suddenly grave. It is nearly noon, she murmured. Do let me send Peters with a note. Mary arose. We will go directly, she said. Wait just a minute, begged Felice, struck by a sudden thought. She came back presently, flushed and breathless and laden with roses. A wedding without flowers would be too absurd, she twittered nervously. You must have roses, Mary, white ones, and I shall carry pink ones. That much at least shall be like other weddings. Mary submitted in tranquil silence, while Felice's small hands fluttered about her, fastening clusters of creamy buds among the red-brown braids of her hair and over her calmly beating heart. End of chapter 6